Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We're just starting a new series, uh, started last, last week on the kings of Israel. Malcolm had the idea to do this, um, which is, I thought was a great idea, um, in light of the fact that obviously um, this term in our nation is going to be a coronation of a king. And so we thought, why don't we spend some time looking at some of the kings of Israel, um, learning some lessons uh, from them, and um, just this good opportunity to perhaps be in a part of the Bible that maybe, for those of us that are believers and that are regularly reading the Bible, maybe the books of the Kings and the Chronicles are not the books that we are in most often. Um, there's plenty that goes on, very brilliant narrative, but they, there are things that go on that are, that are at times somewhat obscure for us in terms of our, where we're at culturally um, and some of the things that, that, that went on. It's not always um, easy to, to follow. And so there are other books that we tend probably to turn to uh, more knee-jerk than the books um, about the kings. But we want to spend a few weeks looking at them. And um, even though, to be honest... The power and influence of King Charles is a world away from the power and influence of these kings. These kings have the power of life and death. It's a completely different thing. We recognize that. Nevertheless, we thought it would be interesting to do, and I'm sure there's going to be so much spiritual value for us in this. One of the things I want you to be aware of before we get into it is at the end of the day, that even though these kings had the power of life and death, they were just individuals like you and me. And so you get this fascinating thing. Whenever you get people in a position of power, you find that what they do has extraordinary implications for thousands, sometimes millions of people. And yet the things that are driving the decisions of those powerful rulers are the same things that go on in our own hearts and minds. So if you think back to October 1962, um, which we all remember very, really well, <laughs> the Cuban Missile Crisis... Yeah, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was basically that Fidel Castro, who was uh, the leader of Cuba, he, he requested that the Soviet Union would um, transport um, nuclear missiles to Cuba, which is, if you don't know your geography, it's, it's very, very close to the USA, um, and, that, and that they would be a nuclear missile base um, for the communist world in Cuba. And so the, the, the ship's on its way with, with the missiles, um, at which point, at some point, the Americans become aware of it. And there's this, there's this awful moment where the world is looking on, and it's, it's, it's the closest point the world has been to all-out nuclear war, where this, this ship is on its way to Cuba under, under, the, uh, under the leadership of the, of, of the USSR. And uh, JFK says, no, you're not going to do it. And there's this moment which impacts the lives of millions maybe billions, but really what's going on as well, when you get beneath all the kerfuffle, all the advice, all the counsellors, all this, all the protocols, is the hearts of two men. Pride, fear, ego, goodwill, altruism, selfishness, all of these dynamics. And so when we're looking at these kings, we're looking at men of extraordinary influence, and yet... We're looking at men. We're looking at humans. And so for all of us, there's going to be, I'm sure, uh, moments for us to think about and reflect upon our own heart. But also in all of this, we want to look beyond these kings to the king. We want to look upon and we want to see Jesus. Now, 
David is the most famous king, the most well-known king of the kings of Israel. David was 30 years old when he ascended to the throne. He was initially anointed for kingship aged 15 by the prophet Samuel. And then between the point of 15 and 30, he various things, circumstances, situations you'll be aware of, even if you're not a regular churchgoer, David and Goliath, for example, these things went on. He became a renowned warrior. And he also became a very real threat to the current king, Saul, who we heard about last week. Now, he wasn't in the sense he was after his throne at all, but God had appointed him because of Saul's terrible failings. And Saul, a very insecure man, became paranoid that David was after his throne and so spent years chasing and persecuting him. Finally, at the end of all of that, Saul dies in battle and David ascends to the throne. Like I say, he's by far and away the most significant and famous king of Israel. So we, everyone's aware of David and Goliath. Churchgoer or not. David and Bathsheba, many people outside of church would be able to, that would begin to ring some bells. The Lord is my shepherd. Very familiar phrase. Psalm 23, written by David. We're very familiar with him. He's found his way into the psyche of the West as a result of um, thousand years of Christendom. Now, there's so much we could read and talk about uh, today with David. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to just read 12 verses from the book of 2 Samuel, which really just talks about his ascension to the throne. And then we're going to focus on the subject of fame today. We're going to speak about fame. And I'm not going to do the soundtrack for those of you that are around in the 80s. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. The words should come up. And I'll start reading. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd over my of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that as I unpack this subject of King David, the, the most famous king, we just pray for the work of your spirit, Lord, in, in our hearts. Soften us and instruct us, I pray. Help us to see what you're doing, hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. What is fame? The Oxford Dictionary 
defines fame as this. The state of being known and talked about by many people. So if you're famous, you're known and you're talked about by many people. I'm going to share with you a story that's a little bit vulnerable, but I think this is going to be quite helpful, is that I've known fame. Yeah, I've known what it is to be fame. I've known what it is to be known and talked about by many people in a world called New Day. Now, New Day is this youth festival of about 7,000 people. So it's not small, but it is tiny. It's 0.0001% of the world's population. Okay, work that out, okay? So, well, Google did. But, so it's zero, it's less than that, actually, but it's 0.0, so it's tiny, right? But it's a little world for about six days in a year that is contained within a showground. And very often, I will preach on the first night of New Day, years ago. So, from the very first night of that event, even though I might know, say, 200 people at the event from different relationships historically, everyone in some kind of a way that was at that first night would know me. What that meant was, was that walking through the campsite for the rest of the week was a really weird experience. Because people would nudge each other and go, it's that bloke who preached on the first night. What was that like? It was weird. Because when you then go onto the campsite where your church is, guess what? Everyone treats you normal. Because <laughs> they know what you're like. They know you're not special. <laughs> so it's great. It's really grounding, you know. But there's something very seductive about walking elsewhere around the thing. You feel important. You feel significant. It's dangerous. You can feed on it. It's also weird. It is weird. And it's also uncomfortable because you think, oh, man, I just, you know, I just want to walk somewhere. And they weren't all saying great things, I'm sure. It doesn't say that in the definition. It says that people are talking about you. It doesn't say it's good stuff, okay? So I'm not, I, they were saying whatever they were saying. But there was some, and some youth would ask for your signature, bless them. It's a youth event, you know. It's your signature. But it was a weird experience. It, it was quite helpful to just think about the impact in that little tiny dot on the planet, but that impact in my soul over that week and how there were elements of it where you think, God, dear, you come where you think, people that are properly famous, that's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. There's a lot involved with it. There's a very famous man who lives on the next street from us. And I love his work. And I've read most of the books he's written. And I've watched most of the TV that he's made. And I love him. <laughs> and I want to be his mate. Right? But, but I don't know if I can be his mate. Do you understand what I mean? Because if I try and be his mate, what's he going to think? Because he's famous. And so when you're famous, see, sometimes people want to know you but they want to know you for the wrong reasons. They want to know you because if they know you, they feel better about themselves. That's weird too. So I wanted to give him a gift, and the kids were like, or some, some, as kids, some was like, don't. Don't do that. That's weird. That's like stalking. I was like, but it's genuine. I took their advice. 
If he wasn't well known and we just bumped into each other and got on well, as I'm sure we would, uh, <laughs> if that had happened, then it would have been cool. But there's this extra thing which makes it weird. It's really, really, it's a strange thing. I think it can be a poison chalice, very often, to be honest with you. Um, I think if it's your main driver, you're in trouble. There, let me, let me, oh, sorry, forgetful. I've got this thing on, um, sorry about this. <laughs> uh, I've got this thing that I found. It was, it was something that was in my mind. I, thought, I read something a few years, a couple of years back, and I found it. I was like, yeah, I was right. And uh, there's a survey done, and um, let me find it. Now I'm not going to know how to use my phone. Pressure's on. Here we go. Here we go. So it says this. I recently asked my seven-year-old nephew what he wanted to be when he grew up. With delightful honesty, he said, I want to be famous. The reason turned out to be his favorite YouTube celebrity. With their thousands of subscribers and millions of views, he one day hoped to be as popular entertainers then. My nep nephew isn't alone. Lots of us at his age wanted to be famous. But for some years now, polls have been pointing to a growing hunger for fame among us adults. A 2007 Pew survey found getting rich and famous was a high priority for 18 to 25 year olds. A more recent YouGov survey found one in three millennials want to be famous, with some of them willing to sacrifice jobs and relationships to get it. With a, while a US poll suggests one in two adults in general wouldn't mind a little fame too. Once reserved to the Hollywood A-list, social media has helped fuel this desire, bringing celebrity status within reach of us all. This desire for fame, it, is, it, it, it's, it seems to be growing, but the problem is this, when it becomes the thing you want more than anything else, you start sacrificing things that are actually genuinely worth something and that's the problem because here's the thing when I was walking across the New Day site and people were nudging and whispering and there's that bloke they had an interest in me why because of where they'd seen me but did they know me no and so I felt loved but I wasn't known that's dangerous that's really dangerous. Because it's not until you're known and still loved that you really know you're loved. Someone can do something impressively and, and, and attract a kind of a following or whatever, but, if, but you, you've, just seen, you've just seen a snapshot, a, a slice, or maybe even a, a, an image that's been projected. You don't really know until you get under the surface. And so there's some real dangers in this whole area of fame. You may be here today and you may want to be famous. I'm not saying for sure that's definitely wrong, but I'm saying you've got to think really carefully about it. You may have accidentally become famous. We some people, we had a, we've got a couple of guys who used to be in the church here, started a YouTube channel. They're now A-list celebrities in another nation in the world, can't walk the streets. Can't, I remember meeting them here when they came here as 18-year-old freshers or whatever. Very, very gifted, very talented, but now serious, like seriously famous happened. I, would, I don't think that's what they set out. I think they took them by surprise. Sometimes you find yourself accidentally famous. Sometimes the measure of your gifts and your talents make some degree of fame inevitable. Just, but just by the measure of your God-given talents and gifts, people are going to notice you. 
that's just, that's a God thing. Like that's, that's, you didn't do anything to generate that measure. That measure was given by God. It does seem to me, and maybe I'm putting on my rose, rose glasses, but back in the day, people were famous for doing something like climbing Everest, splitting the atom, performing brilliant, maybe even just looking amazing, which isn't an accomplishment, but you go, they, they, you know, they look amazing. Okay, fine. But the fame was the byproduct, not, not, not the goal. And they're not famous for being famous. Sometimes I say to my kids, who's that? That's, that's so-and-so. Well, who are the, what, are they, what are they famous for? And look at me like I've asked the crazy person. They're famous for being famous. Well, what do they do? Well, they're just famous. They're influencers. They're famous. They're famous for being famous. Wow. For some people, it's infamy. Infamy is when you're famous for bad stuff. There's some people, you just say the word anywhere around the world. That little two-syllable word, Hitler. Infamy. Bang. Straight away. Everyone, everyone knows where, where you're going. That, that name triggers so much. That's infamy. The power of bad fame. I think it was Jim Carrey. He gets the credit for saying this. Um, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. When someone rich and famous says that, you should listen to them. If someone poor and not famous says that, they're probably just resentful. Okay? But if someone rich and famous says you think you need to sit up and you need to listen. Now, King David was really and is really famous for two things. Number one, fighting. Number two, writing and singing songs. That's what he's most famous and most remembered for. His battle with Goliath is what we remember, this wonderful idea, this teenager, unspoiled, fresh-faced, turns up, and then the old army of Israel quaking in their boots. Their king, Saul, Head and shoulders physically above everyone else, quaking in his boots because there was a nine foot terror on the other side of the valley challenging someone to a one on one. David turns up and he changes the entire atmosphere with his, 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 his sense of who God is. It's absolutely extraordinary. Fear is contagious. Fear is a very contagious thing. This young kid turns up and he sees the fear and he's immune to it. And the reason he's immune to it is given away by what he says. He says, who is this Philistine? Who is he to defy the armies of the living God? Someone's turned up who's got a big view of God. And David, David he doesn't fight Goliath primarily to become famous. Primarily, we can see what he says. If we look at 1 Samuel 17, you can either turn there or, or listen, just listen to me. In 1 Samuel 17, as he's running towards the giant, he says this to him. Powerful words. But look, look at what's, the words come out of our heart. The Bible says the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. David says this. He says, the, he says, the Philistine moved forward, came into David, and they were, all, they were running at each other. And the Philistine, Goliath, says to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and starts cursing him? Then starts saying, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
right? You have defied, you in all your, in all your insults are blaspheming the people of God. You, but you are indirectly as a result defying him. David, now here's the point. David was stirred by a desire for the fame of God. There's nothing wrong with fame. But we've got to ask ourselves, who's famous? David is zealous and burning for the glory of God. That's the, that's one of the, the glory of God is kind of like one of those phrases we, we throw around. It become like a Christian jargon, the glory of God. You're, you're, often what we're saying, we talk about, we're doing this for God's glory. We're saying we're doing it for his reputation. We're doing it so people can see what he's like and be amazed by him. As we were praying before the service this morning in our groups, we were praying, Lord, as we just serve and do what we can in the service day, we want it to be done in a way where people can see beyond what's going on naturally and see you in your glory. We want people to leave here with a sense of wonder at who God is. That there is one who is in a complete class of his own, uncreated, and not just an f- impersonal force, not just a nebulous spirit, a personality, the ultimate personality. Think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment. Could an impersonal force create persons such as us? Of course not. Of course not. Because personality and consciousness, there's, how can something impersonal create something so beyond it in what is personal? He must be the ultimate personality. Without beginning, without end. Without limit, without spot, blemish, without taint, utterly perfect in his character. So perfect that the Bible says God is love. Holy, which means set apart, not like you and me. Majestic, which means every every person we meet on this planet that takes our breath away is just a shadow of his true weight of majesty. When one of the prophets Isaiah had a vision of God, it says the train of his robe filled the temple, the train of it filled the temple. This sense of, I don't know if any of you were old enough to be around for um, Charles and Diana's wedding, the length of the train of her dress, extraordinary. The train of God's robe fills the temple, just speaks of his majesty, his glory, his wonder. This is the God of heaven and earth. This is the God who David was filled with. David's songwriting, his songs weren't about himself. They were biographical songs where he talks about himself, for sure. But the object of of his songs is the same person. Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am, the God of heaven and earth. Psalm 23. I'll read it to you. Many of us will know it off by heart, but let's just listen to these words. Listen to his revelation and understanding of what God is like. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Think to yourself, what is this God like? What sort of God is this? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Extraordinary. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He cares about his reputation. He cares about it. If, if, if we meet someone who cares too much about their reputation, it's ugly. It's egotistic. Why, why is it appropriate for God to care about his reputation? 
Because when God is properly seen and known and glorified and put at the center, everything else finds its proper place. So he leads us in these paths. Why? For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He doesn't leave us in hard times. That's what he's like, faithful. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's the ultimate leader. There's nothing wrong with leadership, but we see so much bad leadership. You think, do away with it. No, don't do away with it. We, we need a leader, but one who is like him, perfect. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, surrounded by those who want to do away with us. And he says, don't worry about them. I'll make you some food. Wow, totally fearless. Does not know what it is to be afraid. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our God. And David knew him personally. And he was zealous to make him known across Israel and to the nations. That's what drove David. And as such, God was really happy for David to become famous. Because David used that fame to point beyond him. To the Lord. And David, the thing with fame is, is that you begin to, you, it's very tempting, I would imagine, if, you, if, if someone is properly famous, to begin to feed on that constant sense of love, favor, attention. The, diff, the problem with that is that you don't nurture your inner world properly. And you become utterly reliant on that until, in, in the end, you're enslaved to it. And you end up doing crazy things to keep it coming. David had a really strong inner life with God. There were times when all his, all his men turned against him. Because while they were away there, a raiding party from another nation came, took all the wives and kids, went off them. They come back desolated. It says that David's men wanted to stone him to death. It says this, he strengthened himself in God. That speaks of an extraordinary inner life with God. When David blew it, because he was not perfect, when he blew it, when he committed adultery, when he took another man's wife and then plotted and schemed to get that man murdered because she was pregnant. Absolutely awful. And then it all comes out. And then his son turns against him, which is part of the judgment. And he has to leave Jerusalem. And he's leaving in disgrace. And this man who we've never heard of before, Shimei, I don't know who he is, starts throwing stones at David and cursing him. Who's this guy? This David. And, then, and, and so one of David's generals says, I'm going to go and deal with him. That's all right. David says, he says, don't you know, leave him. Maybe God's told him to do it. Extraordinary humility. Extraordinary. So, no, I've, I've done wrong. I will bear the sentence. Just character. Character because he was rooted in God, in a relationship with God. But David was a type, and we're going to end on this. He was a type. A type, in theological terms, is either an object or a person, real and historical, but, but they point beyond themselves to a greater reality. So the Bible says, for example, that Noah's Ark was a type of Christ. In what way was Noah's Ark a type of Christ? Well, everyone that was inside the Ark was hidden from the judgment of the flood, whilst the Ark itself took the beating of the flood against it. It's Christ. 
If you're in Christ, you are hidden from the judgment of God for your sin. Not because God overlooks sin, because he's just, but because God dealt with sin at the cross. Jesus took it. The Bible says that the rock in the wilderness that Moses struck and the water came out, it says that rock was Christ. What do you mean that rock was Christ? Again, it's a type. But how's that a type? It's, it's when Christ was struck at the cross. It's, at, it's from the place of the cross that new life, the life of the Spirit, flows to us. You cannot really know the life of the Spirit if you've not come to the cross. You can have spiritual experiences of all kinds. But true life, life to the full, life in the Holy Spirit gushes from the struck rock that is Christ. See, these are types. Joseph in his coat of many colors, he was a type of Christ. He was the favored son, the beloved son. In a sense, in Jacob's eyes, almost his only son. Envied, hated, betrayed, given over. He looked like he's gone forever, died, buried in a dungeon somewhere. And God exalts him. All through the scripture are these types of Christ. Christ is the famous king, as we heard. Unlikely, surprising, illegitimate, it seemed. Did you know that because he was born out of wedlock, some of the interactions you read about in the Gospels with Jesus and his, those, his detractors, they make snide comments about his circumstances of his birth. He lives with that stigma in that, in that culture there. He wasn't a Roman. He was a Jew, oppressed. Didn't write anything. Jesus never wrote anything. Never traveled in, in a, 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 the distance he traveled in his life was not great. Was, was the same size as the country of Wales. His public ministry only lasted three years. Executed with common criminals. And yet he is, without doubt, the most famous man to have ever lived. What's going on there? Here it is, and we'll end with this. This is what's going on here. This is what we need to understand. Paul is writing to the Philippians. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Interesting mindset. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have this mindset. You can, this is Jesus' mindset. And then he explains what this mindset is. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As Rich read earlier, he wouldn't circumvent the cross and become a king by force. No, he knew the root. The root was the cross. Therefore, God the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, not David, not Solomon, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we come to the end of the passage today, I want to say something to those of you perhaps who have never You've, you've never known this personal relationship with Jesus. It's not something that you're, you could say hand on heart. Yeah, I know that. 
You might have been around church. You might not have been. All kinds of different stories in this room. But they, I want to say, I want to declare to you, there is a king. There is a king who was crucified in order that you might be able to be made right with God and know that your sins are forgiven and know that you know him in a relationship like David did, that that's a real thing, that that's not just kind of weird stuff. That's a real thing. And, and if you've, if you have known people that have called themselves born-again Christians but that have badly misrepresented that, I want to apologize on their behalf because it could have given you the impression that it's not a real thing. You can know God personally through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a thing. And so many of us in this room have known this thing and have had our lives changed through this. And what is required is simply to acknowledge, do you know what? I do need forgiveness do need forgiveness and I do recognize that there is a Lord a God a king and I want to I want to I want to serve him and follow him and that's that's huge for people to do huge it's massive it's the biggest thing you'll ever do if you do it and your life will never be the same again but it's it's real and the Bible says God 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 calls people to that so that's that's the heart of God and I want you to know that today and would encourage you on Friday night we had baptisms over at Bassett Street Five people just spoke about giving their life to God, most of them very recently, and just passed through the waters. I tell you, it was the most glorious thing. Someone said to me, I was having a conversation with someone after that. They said, how are you? I said, I'm fine now. <laughs> I said, I'm absolutely fine. How can I not be fine? What I've just heard, what I've just seen, to, to see someone born again and find Jesus, it's just nothing like it. So, listen, the door's been flung wide open. Yeah. Your chains can fall off. You can know this. Please do consider this seriously. And for those of us who are believers, we know the Lord Jesus. I want to just say to us, let us nurture and grow in our hearts a desire for his fame. And sometimes people tell us, you know, you shouldn't tell people about Jesus. Don't force your views on people. Of course we shouldn't force our views on people. We wouldn't do that. But when you really care about people, and when you really care about the fame of God, to not tell people keeps them from the opportunity of looking and finding out. But it also closes down the, the publishing of the good news of what God has done for you. When you tell people how Jesus has changed your life, and what he's done, even if people laugh at you, and people often do, you are, you are speaking truth. And it's a, it, it's a, a life changed by Christ is a, is a life that gives God the glory and furthers his fame. So I want to just say, let, let us as a people be passionate about his fame because he's worthy. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. We're done. Lord, just bless you and thank you so much that we can come to you as we are because we know that you've made a way and you've dealt with all the things that are in the way. So we just say thank you so much for a real relationship with you. And I just want to pray for everyone in the room. I thank you, Lord. You know all the stories. You know all the ins and outs. You know what people need. And I just want to pray the Holy Spirit that you would be at work in a wonderful, wonderful ways, in ways only you can. And I pray for those, Lord, who are asking questions and are feeling in a bit of a fog about it all. I want to pray you just bring clarity and peace. I want to pray for those who feel beaten down, like bruised reeds. Thank you, the word says that you will not break a bruised reed. 
I want to pray you would restore souls where that needs to happen. Pray for those who have grown cynical and think this couldn't possibly be real or true. I just want to pray, Lord, that you would just bring such a strength of conviction about this in their heart that they would just know because they know because they know. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be chiefly concerned with your glory, chiefly concerned with your fame, before being concerned for our own reputation and what people think of us. Deliver us, Lord, more and more and more from the seduction of that, I pray, and help us to be willing to be scorned or whatever in order to be able to talk about how great you are. We love you, Lord. Amen.